Last week, in case you missed it, uh, we came to the end of the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and uh, we celebrated together, we grieved together uh, the closing of a book and celebrated together the wonders that are now richly dwelling within us as God allows his word to continue uh, to work in us. Uh, this year at Mosaic uh, is a work that we um, are sort of plodding along over the long haul, trusting God to take his word by his spirit and slowly, beautifully, and in totality to transform us through his word dwelling richly within us. Uh, that is why perhaps we may not be able to remember any one particular sermon, any one particular verse or passage, any one particular moment. But if you have been journeying with us for some time now through these books, know that uh, when you go back and revisit them, look over them and work your way through them, you will find yourself, if you haven't already, uh, kind of coming back and, and drawn to your remembrance things that God has embedded and shaped and, and, and put in you through the journey. So what we are trusting is that what transforms us into the likeness of Christ is not simply us engaging uh, in felt needs and topics that we want a quick answer to, but it is the meticulous and quiet reshaping of our hearts by laying out ourselves deeply in the Word of God. And so we have now come through another section of Scripture uh, that is, and we hope will remain by the Spirit of God and our con continual diligence of revisiting uh, now remains in us. And on that note, just a reminder to you, if the only interaction you have with God's word is showing up here and having us, the teaching team, uh, bring to you what God has given us in that particular passage, then the retaining of, uh, the experiencing of, the being embedded in and, and, and richly dwelling within you of God's word will be greatly diminished. The responsibility for God's word to be shaping constantly us in an experiential way is not just on the church collectively as an organization and the teaching team. It is on you as a follower of Christ. So keep engaging, revisit Philippians, go back and read some of the other things, spend a couple of months going back through the gospels, jump into the Old Testament in spaces, do these things on your time because that is where the word of God continues to bear its fruit within us, which is going to be Christ likeness. And when Christ likeness is more true of us individually and collectively than our experience of one another becomes more and more of an experience that leads to both freedom for us as well as a display of the glory of God for the community around us. He, they will know us by our love for one another, but not a love we muster up, a love born out of our love for God, born out of our transformation through scripture. You with me on all that? 
Okay, so as we entered into the summer and were preparing to do that a few months ago, we knew, of course, that the next uh, letter we are jumping into is the letter of 1 Timothy because there is a historical chronology to the unfolding of Scripture. So we don't go to God and say, God, which book would you like us to do next? We are on a journey traveling through the historical unfolding of the Word of God. And so we research the history and we determine from that history the best we are able, uh, what book or letter is next in the chronology. And so that's easy for us. We just go and there it is, First Timothy. He writes next. Paul writes First Timothy. But what we decided to do is to say, as we enter into the summer, God, do you want us to move from Philippians to 1 Timothy in an immediacy, or do you have something for us? Generally, when we're in between books, we just, we just come to God and say, is it, is it, is it a, an immediate leap or, or is there something you want? Sometimes a book may end right before a Christmas season or right before an Easter season, and then there is an obvious engagement there. But on occasion uh, and somewhat often, a book ends like this. And usually, probably more, than, uh, 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 more often than not, we enter the next book. But in this particular occasion, what we started sensing from God as we prayed together as a teaching team and uh, prayed together as a, as a, a teaching and worship team, uh, we started sensing God uh, call us to perhaps um, pause for the summer in our journey through the books and do something a little different. This difference was born uh, out of the reality in which we all currently live. Uh, Brady just said it. Every time anyone says it, I think we all sort of nod and we all sort of resonate regardless of our personal circumstances over the last two years. Some of us having really great circumstances, some of us not at all. There is a collective heaviness that was a part of our both local, national, and global community, right? A heaviness that came from a pandemic that was moving its way across the globe, one that we had little to no uh, knowledge of or certainty of. Remember back when, I mean, now we say COVID and we all sort of nod like, yep, we, we know what that is. We know how that works. We know where we are with it. We know what we've concluded about it. We're generally not like, I mean, can you remember? Do you guys remember when you found out someone had COVID like a year and a half ago? And, and uh, you, you almost literally were like, cancer would be a better outcome. You know, like, do, you, do you remember that? Like someone would say that and you'd have the feeling like, I've just heard the most terrible news ever. And now we're like, several students got COVID. Oh, okay, I, I'm sure they'll be fine on Wednesday. Like it's just different. Back then it was heavier and bigger. So we had that going on. And then, depending on the, uh, the, the, the national environment you were in within the globe, there were other channel challenges that then became part of yours. So here in the Western and specifically American culture, uh, we had the pandemic happening. Uh, we had political upheaval during that time happening. And so uh, the reality of our political differences, which have always been part of our story, were elevated and escalated to a place of, of vehement disagreement because of the attitude that our government was playing in. Uh, we added into that mix 
some of the issues that emerge out of that and then some circumstances occurring uh, that caused a stirring up of some of the uh, issues of our social realities here and racism became a huge and giant visible thing uh, again as it unfolded and that sparked a whole lot of heaviness and engagement and disagreement and agreement and polarizing Uh, And then on top of all of that, uh, we had within our Christian world uh, this great wrestle that started occurring about uh, what of these political and social realities were also theologically uh, bent and shaped. And so we brought theology into it and we started using theology as a means to uh, point to who is right and wrong on these issues that got squirrely and weird. And then you were in church with people that love Jesus and you were like looking across the way and going, do they hate me or I hate them? And we were like, they will know us by our... Mm. Mm. It's so beautiful. That was all going on. Not to mention, in reality... Uh, We also had the ongoing other stuff of life go on. Then economic realities came into play. Jobs were lost. Housing markets changed. So now our security is called into question. So on a personal level, you're going, do I survive this? Businesses were failing. Things were unraveling. So everything that makes the American security function started shaking under our feet and people were getting sick, and people were dying more than what felt was usual and normal. So again, and you're like, why are we going back there? Wait for it. Because in many ways, it felt like to me, and I think for us, uh, like we found ourselves falling, if I could describe a feeling, falling into a deep water and being dragged down as you watch the surface where life and air exists, and you sort of start being pulled down like a, a rope is tied around your foot, and you're being dragged to the bottom of the water, and you're trying to catch your breath, but every time you go up to catch your breath, it feels like it's just too far to catch. And then eventually we just kind of went down and down and down. And I think all of us on some level resolved ourselves to getting used to the idea of not breathing. You know, the experience of not breathing, you know it well. It's not so much the experience of not being able to breathe physically. It's the experience you have when tension or anxiety or fear is so high that you hold your breath. Have you noticed that? Uh, We always, that's how we're designed as humans. When there's a sudden surge of like, we sort of, we hold our breath, which is where the phrase comes that feels so beautiful. Hey, take a minute and breathe. Catch your breath. Catch it. Just stop. Catch your breath. So we say that when we've run hard, we say that when we've felt hard, we say that when we've held our breath or when we've done something so exerting that we can hardly breathe. And so when you are exhausted or you are anxious, we would say to you, take a minute and catch your breath, catch your breath. I feel like in some ways what we are in now as a season 
uh, is that we are drifting our way up toward the surface, we feel like. Maybe the rope has been untied from our feet and you know you're sort of drifting up and, and you've got that feeling like, if I can just get up there, then I can catch my breath. Have you ever been underwater uh, and, and you stayed under just a bit longer than you should have? Maybe you were snorkeling or you're in the swimming pool and you dive down to go get that little toy and you realize just before you grab it, uh, there's still a way up. I'm like, I'm down here and I just, I'm out. I'm out and I got to go that way. And then you panic and you're like, come on, come on, I can make it. And have you ever had that feeling like, I, I don't think I make it. And it's all been like 14 seconds, 14 seconds down. And you can hold your breath for like at least uh, 45 seconds. But, but the pressure of the water and you're like, I just, and then when you break the surface, how does it feel? Like I'm alive. It's a, a little, a little overly uh, zealous, but, but it happens. So do, do you all know, um, what the uh, world record is for free diving and holding your breath. World record holding your breath. If you actually know, say nothing, say nothing. But if you don't actually know the fact, uh, somebody shout out uh, world record holding your breath underwater. 20 seconds, good. Six minutes, someone said six minutes. Almost there. 10 minutes, who thinks 10 minutes? Come on, that's crazy. 10 minutes. Try again. Someone said what? Three minutes. Okay. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to run with 10. Keep going. 24 minutes, 37 seconds. What? 24 minutes, 37 seconds. Go look it up. It's the Guinness World Record of holding your breath underwater. Crazy. It's actually 24 minutes, 37 seconds, 0.36, just in case you're curious. So the person who holds that record is a free diver. Uh, he broke that record in 2021 by 34 seconds. So the one before him was 24 minutes. So it's not like an aborigine, I mean, abori ab what do you call that? An Aborigine is a person in Australia, I think. Um, what do you call someone that's not normal? No, no, abnormal is the normal word. Uh, the other word that's much cooler than abnormal, it doesn't matter. What? An aberration. Thank you, Stacy. It's very helpful. Okay. Language, it's quite a tricky thing, especially in our culture, point taken. So uh, here we go. Uh, so, so this person is not unusual insofar as there's others that can do it. So it's, it's capacity. When you read about him, he talks about his way back up to the surface. And as he makes his way back up to the surface, he says, so he's free diving. He's going straight down into the depths. The pressure is extraordinary. And when free divers talk about what it takes, the biggest thing is the mental exercise of telling your body that it thinks it needs to breathe because the pressure's pushing your lungs and there's carbon dioxide in you. And it's like, you gotta breathe, but you actually don't need to breathe. Believe it or not, your body is lying to you. This plenty of oxygen to survive. Now don't try this at home because uh, you'll pass out in two and a half minutes. That's because you're not trained. But the point is certainly 45 seconds is nothing. But on his way back up, he says that the mental exercise on his way back up is now he's gone, you know, uh, well past 100 feet down and he's quietly making his way back up to the surface with this little rope that he just kind of pulls himself up with. And the panic is, have I gone far enough down that I can't make it back up? 
And what he has to do, he says, is he has to, he has to shut out all that is going on in his head and he has to listen to nothing but his heart beating. And when he listens to his heartbeat and he just concentrates on the rhythm of his heartbeat, he slows himself down and he just waits and listens to his heartbeat and he just moves his way up that at some point he just breaks the surface and he's safe. But if he concentrates on the surface, trying to get there, he either goes too fast and he is affected by the pressure or he panics on the way up and he loses concentration, tries to breathe when he shouldn't, and he can drown. So the secret to breaking the surface and catching his breath is to slow everything down and to concentrate on his heartbeat, not on where the breath feels like it exists. As we prayed about where God would take us through the summer as a congregation, the word that God brought to our attention was to revive, to revive, to revive us. That we need a reviving. So that word can be revival, and that is an appropriate word when we talk about reviving. But when we use the word revival, we typically think of energy. We think of, of, of we want revival. We think of going and crying out. We think of, we think of running after. We, we think of, of, you know, the, the tent revivals, the, the, the stirring up. We think of words like stirring up, uh, calling out, crying out, all of that. What we don't think about when we think about revival that is settling down is quieting, is slowing, is stopping, is waiting. Uh, yes, there is a component of waiting, but it is a crying out kind of waiting. But the word reviving switches it ever so slightly, though both are equally the same thing. It is a reviving of a revival of the hearts of people, the community of God, the people of God. It is, it is bringing back to life. Listen to this. This is uh, the dictionary uh, definition of revive, okay? Uh, to activate or set in motion or take up again to renew. How cool is that, right? To, to kind of restore up, to restore to life or consciousness, to revive, to revive. Uh, I love this one. Uh, this one is, uh, there's several others that are so cool, but listen to this one. Uh, to quicken or renew in the mind, to quicken or renew in the mind, to reanimate or cheer. Isn't that beautiful? To revive is to reanimate, to take something that feels dead and to start giving it movement again. To, to cheer, what a cool word to add to revive. To cheer up. When you are being cheered, you are actually experiencing revival, reviving. So we uh, sensed the Spirit of God say to us, the people of God at Mosaic need a little reviving. You all on staff need a little reviving. Renault, you need a little Reviving, And so this summer, uh, I want you to come and I want you to spend the time 
engaging in those things that facilitate the reviving. We cannot do the reviving. I wish I could. That would be so fun if I uh, or the teaching team or the elders here, the staff here had the power uh, to actually do the reviving, then we would never have had 2019, 2020, 2021 the way we did because we would just constantly come here. You'd show up and we would revive you. But the trouble is we can't. We have no such power. Only one holds the power to revive the heart, to reanimate, to renew, to restore, to do all these things. And that is our creator, God himself. So what we are called to do as humans is not to do the reviving, but to place ourselves in the space where the reviving is facilitated. And there is a problem because we are a culture of speed and a culture of shortcuts and a culture of efficiency and a culture of getting things done. All of those things in of themselves, not evil, but oftentimes the things that oppose the beautiful design and way of God transforming us. Even in the very nature of his design in creation, you'll see often this design of the quiet, long maintenance of things that bears the fruit we desire. We'll speak more about that later. We aren't those people. We are, get me there, show it to me fast. What's the quickest way I can get it done? And the reviving requires, in many ways, if we are participating in it, though God can do reviving without this requirement, the only thing reviving requires is who? Jesus, that's right. It only requires God. But the way God designed our participation is that it requires us to engage in a rhythm that opposes the normal realities of our life. So as we look to scripture, we see a couple of things unfold there as we started exploring, God, what do you mean by reviving us and facilita us facilitating the environment for that as a congregation? And a couple of things began to come to mind as we poured over scripture and asked the spirit of God, show us what you mean. The, the first thing that emerged that kind of came to mind as we pursued, though there's other examples, was a story found uh, in the book of Luke uh, chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 38. In Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha are at their home. Their sisters, Jesus, is visiting with them. Uh, she, uh, they are uh, doing what that culture does, being hospitable to the rabbi and his disciples. And Mary goes into the main room, sits down with Jesus and the disciples to sit by his feet and learn from him. If you were not here when we preached through that, the context of that is extraordinary. And the reason Martha would have been frustrated and even embarrassed by that reality is far more than just she didn't see Jesus as important. That was not the place for Mary in that cultural context. Mary was violating multiple cultural realities. Jesus used the opportunity to say that culture will not dictate how my people come to me. And it should not dictate it here for us. Just because our culture is efficient, quick, shortcut, make it fast. We should not be informed by that cultural norm as to our journey with Jesus. But in that moment, 
as it unfolds, this is what happens. Jesus has a conversation with Martha as she comes in and says to Jesus, would you mind uh, explaining to young Mary the inappropriate nature of what's going on? Not to mention I'm alone in the kitchen doing all the dishes. Rightly put, and Jesus says to Martha, but the Lord answered her, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. There's Jesus saying, I know not just about the dishes, about the cultural norms and Mary and the inappropriateness and all that, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. What is necessary, it was in that culture, it is in this culture, it has been in every culture before and will be in every culture to come. Hear me now, regardless of what the culture is or what the culture says is necessary or good or right, Jesus will stand in opposition of whatever that is if it is opposed to this. Sit at the feet of Jesus quietly and pay attention for long spans of time. That is necessary. And any culture that says that is a distraction to what is necessary, Jesus will stand as he did in that room and say, I see in you lots of things that feel very necessary, but there is only one thing that is necessary, and Mary has chosen that thing. Come and sit with me. So if we are going to facilitate a space where we are open and ready to let God revive us, we are going to need to sit at the feet of Jesus. And when we come and sit at the feet of Jesus, as we sit at the feet of Jesus, we come there to glean from our rabbi, but we are hopeful, in fact, expectant, in fact, uh, 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 in a place of need for something. So our posture is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Our need, what draws us here, is that we need to catch our breath. We need to catch our breath. We have been running and going and fearing and maddening and shouting and screaming and exhausted and resting and giving up and resigning ourselves and struggling. And even now the fruit of all of that insanity still playing out. Relationships are still a little tense, a little strange, a little weird. Transitions keep taking place and we're coming just kind of going. <laughs> and so what Jesus invites us to is come and sit at my feet and our posture we are coming to is so that in this case, for this summer, in this context, the invitation by Jesus isn't come sit at my feet because you need, you, you, you got to do it. It's right. He's actually inviting us through this revive space to say, come sit at my feet because here and here alone, you will catch your breath because the sitting isn't the breath you're trying to catch. It is not in the act of sitting that I will be like, oh, there it is. You see, I slowed you down and now you can catch your breath. The breath we need to catch is not our own. The breath we need to catch is the life that Jesus pours in. Jesus puts it this way in scripture. In the book of uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this. Come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden. That sounds like us, doesn't it? We have labored, we have fought, we have, and we still labor on. And I will give you rest, breath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, breath for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's much there we're not going to unpack today, but the invitation is come and sit by my feet so that here you will have me pour into you. And as I pour into you, you will find your soul catching my breath. And when it catches my breath, my breath is life. So we want to come this summer and we want to be revived. So we come to sit at the only one who can revive. We sit quietly at his feet and we wait for the need for reviving to be fulfilled by catching what he has to teach us so that in the very learning from him, our souls find their rest that transcends the circumstances, relational dynamics and, and struggles of our day. This is what we are here to do. And then finally, as we traveled through, uh, God brought us to another place in the book of Jeremiah, as we were like, okay, God, what does this look like for us? What is it uh, we are to posture ourselves in? And what is it that you are saying will uh, begin the journey of revival? What should we look for? We're coming to sit at your feet. We are, uh, we are in need of your breath, your rest, your way, your learning, so that we might catch our breath and be revived. And then God brought us to Jeremiah chapter 33. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 33, the context is that the people of Israel uh, have been outside of the promised land in a hard place for a long time. You with me? The, the things that are promised, the things that are for the people of God have been absent from the people of God because of the circumstances of their particular placement. And part of that has been the result of their distance from God that got them in, in captivity in the first place. You with me? So it's complicated, like with us. Is it, is it just the circumstances? Is it just the world? Is it a bit of us? Uh, is it us losing our mind, our way in some ways? That's all died. And that's where the people of God find themselves. And Jer Jeremiah is speaking as a prophet from God to the people. And in chapter 32, 33, and 34, uh, he is unpacking the promise of God to the people that says, I know it feels like you are in a place that is lost from what it should feel like to be with me, but my promises are not lost and I am going to lead you home to the promised land. In Jeremiah 33, uh, it says this in verse one, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is his name. So he's kind of like the one saying this, he's kind of got the whole story in his hand, right? Verse three, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great, and this version says hidden things. My favorite version is unsearchable things. So I'm going to read it that way. I will show you great and unsearchable things that you have not known. Man, what a thing to expect. 
Here, God is speaking to the people of Israel of the continued revelation of his redemptive plan, the gospel in Christ through the fulfillment of the divinic covenant and the other covenants. So there is a, a, a direct context there. But what a thing that God would say to his people, listen to me, when you come and you sit at my feet by my spirit through my word and you wait and listen, there your souls will be given rest and in addition to rest, I, when you call on me in this space, will show you great and hidden, unsearchable, not yet known things that you do not yet know. Who here would like to know something at the end of the summer that is currently unsearchable for you and I, but waiting to be discovered through the power of God himself as we sit by his feet. Who would like to know such things? I would like to know such things. And don't be sitting here going, I don't think I can put my hand up because does he mean like some kind of crazy experience where we like have some revelation and we start speaking out to each other crazy stuff? No, no, no. I'm talking about actually discovering the things God wants us to know that we do not yet know that we will know if we bother to sit quietly at his feet and facilitate some stillness of soul so that we might find our breath again by finding his breath and know things we do not yet know. I mean, feel free to be absent this summer and skip out on all of that, but I'm going to be right here. So this is the journey we're on. This is the summer we're going to enter into through August. And then in August sometime, September sometime, I'm not quite sure, God will give us the way when we get there. And maybe past that, because right now we're open-handed. We will start the book of First Timothy. Super fun. And God will use this summer in reviving us to prepare us for whatever he has in First Timothy, because it's quite a book. But for this summer, it's going to get real practical just so you know. So that's all like, there it is. That's what we're doing. Here's how it gets practical. Let's start with us, those of us who are leading the staff and the teaching team. We have changed the rhythm of our summer. We have said to God, God, we want to come to you each week and we want to ask you what it is you want us to facilitate, what you want us to do as a congregation. You might say, don't you do that every week? Yes, we do. Absolutely. But within a context, we're in a book. We know what the next passage is. I mean, we know First Timothy's in the fall. We've been doing this for 15 plus years. We're really the next thing we, we already know. It's a grace of God. We don't have to kind of go, God, this week we have nothing. What do you want to say? Uh, God says, here's the next portion of my word. This is what I'm saying. And we have watched in this place how God's word has matched our circumstances time and time again in his sovereignty. So that is not a less spiritual version of a human going, I'm more spiritual than those people that travel through the Bible because I just wait on God on Tuesday and then he shows me something. And that must be much more profound than his word. This is part of what we always do. But in this particular summer, what makes it unique is that instead of knowing as we enter into a week, what that week holds. We want to come to God on a Monday and we want to say to God, God, we're going to come and we're going to ask you to show us just for this week from start to finish what you want us as a congregation to know, feel, experience here. So on Mondays, the staff of Mosaic will gather and they will spend an hour in prayer together, just sitting at the feet of Jesus, asking, waiting, anticipating everything we just said. Sit, Listen, 
pray, ask, and see what God says. Then there'll be a portion of time on a Monday after that where we will leave some space open for the staff to talk to one another and to the teaching team and say, man, as I spend time at the feet of Jesus and I spend time in his word and I spend time with the spirit, uh, here are some thoughts that came to mind and we will share together just about what God is speaking to us as a staff. And then the teaching team will meet after that like we do every week. And what we'll discuss there is, God, uh, we've just come and sat with you. What is it you would like us to engage in this week to prepare well for what comes this Sunday. Some weeks God may tell us, I want my people to sit still, to pray together, and none of you say a word, and then we'll do that. Sometimes he will tell us, I I, I have an hour and a half worth of sermon uh, to unpack, so we're going an hour and a half. I don't know, and the teaching team right now is like, we didn't talk about that exactly. That's what's beautiful about this, is we're coming to the one who we trust and saying, our hands are open, what is it you want to do? Not just what do you want us to preach, What is it it you want us to do? Do you want us just to worship through song, worship through teaching, worship through prayer, uh, a combination? Do you want us to do? I don't know. So this summer, each week you'll show up and and we will be together here and we will best we are able in our humanity by the Spirit of God bring to you what God has brought to us and facilitate a space where you get to do what we're doing on Monday and throughout the week to sit, to wait, to listen, to see, and to trust God. We will throughout the summer be inviting you uh, into things throughout the week as well. Perhaps even now we might say, hey, if if you're around on Monday mornings, uh, wherever you are at work or in your workspace, would you stop between 9.30 and 10.30 and for five minutes, 10 minutes or an hour, pray with us and our staff. Ask God to show us what he wants to show you so that we are collectively asking and seeking God. We want this summer to be a space that is practically a space for us to engage in in sitting at the feet of Jesus so we can catch our breath by catching his breath so that he will show us great, not so that, and in addition, he will show us great and unsearchable things we do not yet know for each of us individually and for us collectively. And you ask, what will happen after the summer? of all this. I don't know, but I do expectantly ask God that he would revive us in a way we have not yet been revived so that we would catch our breath. So like that free diver, instead of rushing to things we think will revive our souls, perhaps what we do is concentrate now on the heartbeat of Jesus and just quietly allow that heartbeat to measure us so that we just keep going until at one moment we find ourselves breaking the surface of our exhaustion and catching our breath because he is enough for us. I close with this. Uh, This perhaps is the space in which I now pray for my heart and yours will be that which is our summer. Here it is, Psalm 46. This is my prayer for you and I, our prayer for each other. I would encourage you, go read this psalm over and over again and let this be your prayer for your heart uh, this summer. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, 
though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the, mount, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms, uh, the kingdoms uh, tower. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. God, thank you for your extraordinary love for us and the amazing ways in which you work in us when we are faithful and the amazing ways you work in us when we are not. And yet, God, you invite us and call us to faithfulness so that we might come and participate in the beautiful work that you are doing in us and that our experience of that work might be more tangible. So, God, we come this summer now with a, a desire to find ourselves at your feet, to catch our breath by catching your breath and by discovering great and unsearchable things we do not yet know because you will show us so that we might be a people more captivated by you, more like you, and in so being a people that for each other and for the world show more of you and less of ourselves to each other. God, we come this summer expectant of you being more than enough for us in reviving our souls and our beings and our lives by renewing our minds, renewing our spirits, breathing life into us and showing us new things. We trust you. We wait on you. We're excited to be part of what you are, are doing in this place. Show us the way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.